Hey, what's up? I'm Jared. You're listening to Suspending Disbelief, episode three with my buddy Bryson. We talk about what it means to suspend disbelief and the path to openness, the path to, you know, allowing information to come in and out of your framework or your ego or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we really go all over the place. We talk a lot about religion, Mormonism, uh, the path of letting go of some of the indoctrination and blah, blah, blah. I'll let you listen. I hope you enjoy. just jump right in i have like a few questions that i outline but honestly it doesn't really matter where this goes at all i want to talk about lots of different things or whatever um you know how it is we get into a topic and we'll run with it so um i kind of want to just start by asking you um what if anything does suspending disbelief mean to you and i don't know if you've ever like thought about that and this could be just that opportunity to think about it um and talk about it but what does suspending disbelief mean to you and how has it influenced your life up to this point yeah so i I actually do have a thought i was coincidentally before getting ready to jump on this call uh this was a thought that was going through my mind because i think it's pretty it's a pretty consistent like um unspoken theme in our conversations uh, and I guess the way that I would put it for me personally is I spent a lot of my life, even up into my twenties, mid twenties, uh, you know, sort of scoffing at mystical ideas, like, um, you know, thinking that all of that new age stuff was just a bunch of nonsense, uh, you know, people aligning their chakras and crystal energies and stuff. Um, But at the same time, I was, you know, living um, uh, a more religious life um, where a lot of those same messages were just sort of being repackaged into um, different contexts. But it was like the same stuff, right? Just as mystical in a way. Uh, And so as I've sort of separated myself from that, I feel like my, my mind has become more open to exploring playfully exploring ideas for the sake of the exploration and um and so that that could mean toying around with the ideas of you know it's like what what do these mystical things mean to me i don't necessarily have to buy into them and think that like you know anything magical is going on here but i can try and understand what the archetypes and what the messages mean for me and that can actually that can actually make me feel uh, enlightened and more, uh, edified when I walk away from it. And so that, I think that a lot of our conversations have revolved around that. How can we, how can we take our upbringing, take all these mystical ideas and sort of explore them and find things that mean that create new meaning. So that's, that's what suspending, suspending disbelief means for me is being willing to explore ideas for the sake of the exploration. Yeah, I like that a lot. It what popped into my head while you were talking is this idea that like we were essentially very mystical upbringing. Um Mormonism it has like a really hardcore foundation of like mysticism really, but it was packaged in a way that like exploration wasn't on the table. It's like no, this is already bit well for me at least. And I'm I'm I should be posing this as a question. I'm wondering for you like did you feel 
that you had room to explore within that paradigm within that framework or was it actually kind of for me it was the opposite where I felt um I think that there was such a hardcore framework like walls that were boxing me in that I wasn't able to actually find like a door into the mystical ideas that Mormonism packaged for me so I like threw it all out or I just like I couldn't explore it um I'm curious if your experience was a little different I think you were you experienced maybe more exploration like in your older age in that framework um so yeah long story short what's the relationship to suspending disbelief and like leaving a religion if that makes sense yeah so I think that um it definitely has a, a framework that it packages. I think that you you put that really well, where it says like, that these are the mystical ideas that are encompassed in you know like truth, and you can explore those ideas and and learn about them, and maybe uh, grapple with like how they relate to each other. But anything outside of those fences is is not true. It's like once you once you start exploring anything beyond this line, you're no longer dealing in truth. Um, and so it limits your exploration for sure. You could, you'll see a lot of like, you know, I remember being a missionary and, and talking with other missionaries about all of the, you know, like, they'll call it deep doctrine stuff where it's like the unknowable things about the universe and how you can understand that through the lens of Mormon teachings. So you'll, you'll find teaching, you'll find conversations like that, that are in a way the same exploration that you and I like to like to participate in but it they're like safe yeah you have to you have to sort of put on your protective gear before you go out and explore those ideas and your protective gear is like the mormon doctrine Um, and and what what uh is refreshing about doing it now is that uh it is pure exploration without any presupposition for what what is true and what's not because i have no idea what is and what isn't and then for really pure exploration of ideas and you can just sort of take take stuff leave stuff doesn't matter and you can walk away from it without it being a big deal how easy was that for you to start doing that like how easy was it for you to essentially let go of maybe um this I guess like in context of personality type which I don't want to go super into but you're an is Oh, sorry, INTP, which is mm-hmm. introverted thinking uh, with the secondary function of extroverted intuition. And what we're talking about now is pretty much like a unbiased perception of new ideas. Like extroverted intuition is very, very um, open and explorative. In fact, like uh, Personality Hacker, they nicknamed it exploration, right? Like that's it's all about what ifs it's all it's enjoys and is enriched with the openness of letting go of your framework or allowing new ideas to come in and update your framework and uh i'm curious if that process was kind of like um like did you feel like you slowly developed that openness since 
like let's say high school or was that something that um you kind of felt like a switch and like 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 for instance was it one day you woke up and you were like I don't know shit like I don't know anything um so I can be open or was it like just a slow process of slowly realizing you don't know anything does that make sense yeah that's a good question I I don't know if I know the answer but I do what I can say is there have been periods in my life where I maybe was a little bit more arrogant. And I think in those periods, I was also less emotionally mature and, and maybe even less emotionally healthy. And in those periods, I uh, felt like uh, protected in my knowledge and understanding of the things around me. And I feel like as, um, as I... Uh, have embraced like doubt and and embraced uh the acceptance that i don't know much of anything about anything uh, it has also been in line with when i feel like i am the most emotionally healthy and the most happy so maybe even now it might be sort of a thing that can wax and wane where it's like uh uh so, some days I'm feeling more emotionally healthy and I'm feeling happier and, and more in my skin. And then other days, maybe not as much. And it, and I feel like it, my, my willingness to explore playfully is uh, tied to my mental well-being. Yeah. No, that's huge. I think as we move into a more, uh, let's say like fight or flight like place or like uh, insecurity, your ego hardens like that's like the function of the ego essentially is mm -hmm. to it's like oh we're in danger like don't allow any new information in um mm -hmm. and that's like this uh you see it with alcoholism especially which is really interesting uh because like that hardened i just think of it literally like a shell like there's like this hardening of the the ego complex or the habitual consciousness that then is so opposed to newness new ideas it becomes so um it's it's funny because it's it thinks it's rational but a lot of its ideas are very not rational like irrational yeah very um self-protective very um like maintaining the status quo uh and and because of that it also inhibits growth like it, it makes it so that uh, for me it, to, to feel like i'm growing and progressing as a person i need to be like um evaluating new ideas and either embracing the ones that are that I find to be important or you know rejecting and walking away from the ones that I think aren't meaningful or, or needed and um and when you're in that hardened ego state uh everything is rejected right everything just goes bounces off your hardened ego and you you are unchanged and so uh you you just stagnate stay in the same place so that's what I love this conversation because, uh, well, there's some feedback, but um, there's a, essentially Jungian psychology is all about relativizing the ego, which is what we're talking about. It's becoming like allowing the shell to soften and allow things to pass in and pass out, like to get rid of old ideas, to adopt new ideas and to realize um, the influence that 
we have by a lot of things outside of our consciousness um, within our own psyche. And, uh, and this kind of brings me to the next question I wanted to talk to you about was like, because dreams are a really natural way of challenging the ego. It's almost like when the, when you go to sleep, the ego kind of like loses its edge. It's like napping. And all of a sudden the unconscious mind is bombarding it with all these new, like (laughs) non-rational ideas. Right. Um, And symbols and emotions and all this shit. But how has, we've barely talked about this. How has dreaming and working with dreams brought you to where you are now today? Yeah. So I, I have never really been very good at remembering my dreams, but every now and then I'll have a very vivid dream and, and it'll stick with me for decades. Like, um, I, I have dreams that I remember from when I was 10 years old because they were so vivid that they are just like seared into my mind. Yeah. Uh, it's made me wish I could get better at remembering my dreams. And, and I've been told that keeping a dream journal would help me with that. But I feel like there, there is meaning in my dreams. And I, I was seeing a therapist when I was living in Seattle. Uh, and uh, sometimes we would talk about my dreams, in particular, the ones that really stuck with me and, you know, any that every now and then would stick with me the next day. And he helped me realize that there is um, meaning in the in these dreams he he said it that um the way that he phrased it was you you are the dreamer but you are also experiencing the dream so it's sort of a dialogue that is happening with yourself Mm -hmm. and uh and i think that that's a really important and interesting way of thinking about it because it's easy to write dreams off as just like with mystical stuff it's easy to write them off as nonsense when you wake up the next day and it's like like Mitch Hedberg said, it's like I'm building a go-kart with my ex-landlord. And it's like, why? <laughs> Wait, who said that? Mitch Hedberg. He's like talking about how his dreams are nonsense. I like, love that. I'm build a go-kart with my ex-landlord. Um, but uh, it's like uh, you, these are things that your, that your subconscious is choosing to present to yourself. It's, it doesn't just happen. Something, a choice is being made, a story is being told, and uh, the the messages in it are often going to be very visual and very symbolic and, and emotionally packaged. They're going to have emotional charge. And so when we would talk about my dreams with my therapist, uh, it, a lot of it would be sort of peeling back the layers and, and evaluating the emotional charge between behind the things I was seeing. What like, why, why would I see that? Why would my subconscious self be presenting that image to me? And, um, and I ended up finding a lot of meaning whenever we would have these conversations. And it even helped me, one of the dreams from my childhood, when we talked about it, it helped me understand my relationship with my mother even better, better than <laughs> I then. Like my 10 year old self was trying to tell me in a dream something about my mother that I didn't realize until I was almost 30 talking to a therapist about that dream. Right. So that's, I, it's, I think that that shows how uh, important and meaningful dreams can be. If you're willing to, you have to put work into understanding the, the symbols that are in them. Yeah. Well, I, that's a interesting, I've been thinking a lot about this, like dream interpretation, how much of it, the talk therapy and like, 
working through um, the symbology via like conversation and a what's the word called when you take a thought and then you see where you go like the Rorschach inkblot test what is that called um, you know what I'm talking about but like uh, yeah I don't know the, the phrase for it but you're just sort of exploring the idea yeah association is what Brittany uh, says uh, okay yeah uh, like yeah word association exactly yeah. and how important or how beneficial is that versus um, embodying the actual emotional charges behind the symbolism and how do you need to do the association to get to the emotion or can you like bypass the word association and like the more rational um i think like left brain like and that analyzing analysis like breaking things apart aspect of it and just go straight to embodiment like um with your experience was bouncing ideas off and like actually exploring and associating with the symbolism super important or was it more the embodiment or both well so i think the only way that i could figure out what those messages meant for me was to explore them and uh in the the medium for that exploration was a conversation with my therapist and um and so you know i i don't know that there's a right answer here because you know everybody you know, some somebody who's really experienced with with their dreams and who really knows themselves and really knows their subconscious might be able to wake up from a dream the next day and immediately analyze it go oh that's what all these things meant that's that was uh that 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 was a really interesting and meaningful dream and maybe even take meaning from it that they can incorporate into their into their ego and help adjust the way that they live their life and the way that they view reality uh, which I think is the goal of some of these messages in these dreams is to penetrate your ego. Um, but uh, for me, for a lot of these dreams, I needed to explore them verbally. I needed to talk about them and then I needed to be asked questions about them to start scrutinizing like what they they meant and what the symbols behind them could mean and uh, the context for them. And so the the association, I guess, born out through that conversation was was important for me realizing it was sort of like oh i get it now yeah that makes a lot of sense i think well as you're talking i'm like okay well your flow state your driving function of introverted thinking is that um versus someone that might be using that in like a third function like uh, a little bit weaker less um less developed and more maybe black and white and easier to dismiss what long yeah anyway um i find that really important actually like i'm glad that you brought that up because i think it really is kind of going to depend on each individual person and also the dream itself because i think I'm assuming, or the question assumes that dreams are all kind of showing up the same way. Yet, in my experience, dreams, some of them want to be analyzed and some of them want to be embodied. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it, it may be true that not every dream has that same meaning that's being packaged into it. Like, just like how I, in, you know, in, in reality, I like to explore ideas. 
and I like to talk about ideas, maybe my subconscious is also just sort of throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. And every now and then, you know, you have dreams that are just that, right? Experiments. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so maybe those ones don't require as much analysis. Maybe you can walk away from those ones and go, no, nah, those ones didn't really mean as much to me. Yeah, junk junk mail. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that goes in the spam box. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I've had like fifteen things that pop into my head that I want to ask you, and then I just have forgotten all of them, um, <laughs> which is really frustrating. Um, but when it comes to something you said about penetrating the ego, there's that. Um, well, I kind of want to go back to this Mormonism uh, I've been thinking a lot about, and I made a couple of TikToks today about, and have been talking to my therapist about the axioms of like idealism and perfectionism in Christianity, um, as well as AA and as well as uh, obviously American or like Western culture of this idea that it's like, like manifest culture, right? Where it's like manifest the best life, like only think about positive things and like, um who you're gonna be and especially with like a relationship or like a partner it's like manifest the type of person that you want in your life and all of these things I've used to get where I am now but now I feel like it's getting in my way of actually being present and enjoying what it is so like yeah. I was I was talking to my therapist and I was like yeah I'm trying to figure it out what it is I want versus what it is I need and he was like, well, what about what is? And then I jokingly said, shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm curious what your, if any of that resonates with you and your experience of, um, I guess, like your relationship to Christianity and like the yeah. core idealism, idealism, ideology. How would you say that? Anyway. Yeah, yeah, ideology. Well, I think um, my head is going in a lot of different directions because I think that that is actually like a really, I think that that's a profound question, and uh, and I think it uh, it makes me think of a lot of different stuff. I guess to organize my thoughts in a way, the the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, you know, you and I are are really interested in mystical stuff and. A lot of this like manifestation, um, you know, hustle culture type um, uh, uh, mentality that is really popular these days that sort of seems to come from that book, The Secret, you know, where it's just yeah. like make, make reality. You just have to make the universe know what you want and then and then you'll want it. A lot of those ideas are just prepackaged like mystical hermeticism which is stuff that you and i find really interesting that basically says like we are components of the universe we are locked into it so we have more control over it than than even just our actions right like we, we are in, in a in a way we are the universe uh we're just the act we're the um we're the animus of the universe we are enacting its will and uh, which is an interesting idea to me. And so, so in a way, it makes me think like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can exert your will in the world and make things reality out of your thoughts. 
that's the nature of being alive. And that's what's exciting about being alive uh, is that you can, you have control over things in ways that we don't really understand and we don't really know why. Um, so that's fun, that's exciting. Um, you can make your dreams come true and all of that wonderful, beautiful stuff. But um, I also think that a lot of times uh, that people take that mentality and that culture to be like, oh, well, I want a Tesla. Oh, I want money. Oh, I want a, a hot girlfriend, right? And then it's like, well, wait a minute. Now you're, now you're taking this like really mystical, interesting idea and you're grounding it in very base primal desires. These, to me, these are like basically the desires of your, of your inner monkey, you know? Like, I want nice thing. I want hot girl. I want, you know, like, I, <laughs> I want to be king of the jungle. Right. Um, and, and I think that um, there's a big part of me that thinks like that stuff is just that. It's like very grounded in the physical world and it doesn't really mean much because you know, like like everybody says when you when you die you can't take any of it with you right so so what does it mean if you got a tesla not really anything at all um so i think uh bringing it back to the prepackaging of christian ideas christianity is a really good job of saying of of separating the 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 temporal things from the spiritual things. So it's like, hey, you can manifest your reality through choosing to become a disciple of Christ, choosing to accept him as your savior, choosing to go on a path, particularly in Mormonism, choosing to go on a path that will lead you to return to his presence and become more like him in a literal way. And, uh, and it's like, okay, well, I can manifest reality for these spiritual goals. But that's that framework that we were talking about earlier. It's like, hey, this is this is what's allowed for you. This is, uh, in terms of spiritual manifestation, this is what's true. But um, I think it's really fun now to be able to explore the like ideas of spiritual development and growth in a way in in the framework of knowing that I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't know what happens after I die. Nobody does. And so um, what happens if I start manifesting some of those spiritual ideas that Mormon taught me? Like, I want to continue to live after I die. I want to continue to progress and become a more powerful spiritual being after I die. Will it become true? Maybe. It's fun to think about. Um, so I guess that's that's sort of what comes to mind for me with manifestation is that like we're all participating in it we're all doing it a lot of people get wrapped up in the in the temporal side of things but i think that there's a lot more fun and a lot more for me personal development to be had when you start thinking about like the confusing unknowable deeper things about the universe a lot of that probably sounded like nonsense but for me it's a really important way for how i live my life no, no, it's interesting. I think it um, it felt like a I'm trying to actually work it in, in my head right now, but what you just explained is like what I have my talons and my teeth sunk into as well, which is this um, 
it's like it's hidden in that hope of like what if i crystallize my psyche and and it floats on after i die into the sea of of consciousness and i and i grow in, in, into this uh next level being right and i like continue to to grow forever and i become a god and create my own universes and in my mind right like we're just right. perpetuating this thing um and that um for me that like trickles back down to the smallest moment of like i shouldn't be drinking coffee right now because i know in the long run it's not helping me like psychically become stronger um it's like a crutch and this and that and so i get into this constant i guess uh frustration with my humanity and like my in the present moment right like constantly being like you know if i was it's almost like i'm in i'm in fear that i'm not going to make it to this um I, I talk about like the crystallization of the of the aura or whatever i think that's what the golden dawn is all about is like progression into these things so i want us to kind of flip what we were talking about on its head and say is this healthy though like is that um is that a way to live our lives is that christian ideal um is it actually because for me it's like i am where i am because of that right like i've mm -hmm gone from being a shithead alcoholic to not as much of a shithead non-drinker or whatever um and uh is it well i guess it's like this radical acceptance type of thing that's just as popular as like manifestation in fact you see it with the same people and i feel like there's some weird dissonance going on and um yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm really just trying to explore this idea with you. But do you yeah. think that that, that idealism, I, I don't, I feel like it's so deep in me. I don't know how to get away from it. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Uh, and it's, it's something to be aware of because yeah, you and I both have that same, that same upbringing and that same sort of like from birth, being taught this this framework and this path and so it's like maybe i'm maybe i'm repackaging it right maybe i'm just finding uh other ways to look at it uh and uh and that could be true but um you know i think ultimately when it comes to those like feelings of um frustration with our own humanity um I think a lot of that is, uh, I guess my mind is coming back to, to doubt and, and recognizing that we don't know anything. It's like, yeah, I, that's great if we can crystallize our aura and our energy and ascend and transcend and all that stuff. But it's like, dude, maybe all that's nonsense, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe there is absolutely nothing and no reason and not, and no, there's just, it's just pure chaos. Uh, and then, uh, and then it doesn't matter that you feel frustrated that you drink too much coffee because like coffee and you are the same thing and you're just trading places or you know, I don't know, it's just nonsense. <laughs> but, um, uh, I guess it's like, it's, hard, it's hard to be getting mad at your, it's hard to justify getting mad at yourself 
for breaking the rules of ascending and becoming a better person when you don't even know what those rules are. Right. That's where it becomes, um, it breaks down in this logical way that it, it doesn't, it's not very logical or like I can't figure out um, because the ideal is, is like this. It's similar to like a song. I hear this symphony and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make that symphony. And then I play it on the piano and it sounds like a whole different song, but it's like my effort at this ideal. Um, and it's like a similar thing where um, I can't be mad at the fact that that song isn't as perfect as what I heard in my head. Um, all I can do is like make an effort and that's what the universe is asking me to do or that's yeah. what the muses are asking me to do. Yeah. And it's like, um, I think a healthy balance of these two ideas is, is a good thing. It's like um, holding yourself accountable for being a better person. Cause then, you know, it's like, you're talking about alcoholism and it's like, if you embrace too far going the direction of, uh, of saying nothing, you know, I don't know what the meaning of any of this is nothing really matters and it doesn't matter that i'm an alcoholic so i'm just gonna indulge and do what i want and um, the consequences will be that your your life will be full of more suffering the people around you will suffer more because of it you know and so um it's it feels very natural to say no that's too much that's too much in the in that direction it's better to hold myself more accountable but to also balance in with it a, a forgiveness of yourself and a, and a willingness to be like, I don't I, exactly what you're saying. I'm just, my goal is to come here to show up and to try to, to make an attempt at the symphony of existence. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that feels right to me, but again, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but uh, it feels right to me because it, it has the balance. It has the balance of those two things. I'm going to try to live a good life and not hurt people and not hurt myself, but I'm also going to give myself the forgiveness and the patience to just show up and do my best in that space of trying to be as good as I can be. Uh, I, I guess what I like is having, and this could be like a Mormon thing, but like, I like having a framework to check myself against to see if I'm doing well, like I oh, want totally. constant feedback. And so because this... you want to, you also want to be like, I'm doing a good job. Like, right. I, got the, I got the gold stars and I got 100%. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. So what's interesting, and what I hear is this idea in my head where it's like, well, if it's not idealism, it's like nihilism or something like these two things are opposed. But what what could be true is that I could have a framework of like the ultimate goal is to listen to and feed and follow the soul, if you will, whatever that is. Um, and that, that framework is large enough that it can evolve and change. And as long as I'm checking in saying, am I doing a good job of living a soulful life? Um, oh, maybe I should, you know, maybe, um, well, yeah, like, I guess what I'm trying to get at is I want I think what could be healthy for me um, is developing a large enough, abstract enough container to check myself against that it's, because uh, like, for instance, 
AA kind of gives you this new ideal that is the king of the castle. It's the top of the hierarchy, which is to be of service. Um, and that is what you check yourself against, essentially. It's like, is this self-centered or is this helpful to the community or whatever, right? Or to God or to the evolution or expansion of consciousness. That's what I've been un operating under. Is this beneficial to the expansion of consciousness? Um, which is just like you were saying, like I'm repackaging like Christian ideals. Um, and that's what AA is. Um, you don't have to be Christian, but it is the Christian yeah. and but it's also the those same ideals can be found in like judaism and islam and hinduism uh right. to some extent they're they're gonna have alternate takes but it's basically this expansion of consciousness serving mankind uh being a good person uh like and, and they'll tell you what that good they'll give you a framework for what that means to be a good person right um so hold on i was going i was gonna say something else about sorry man i derailed you no 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 don't be sorry it wasn't you um well this uh so i was talking about the framework that i've been living under um Well, yeah, I guess it really just boils down to, I can't remember who I was talking, maybe it was Brittany I was talking about this, but there's a, an alchemy, um, this idea of having, you know, you have the container that you perform the alchemy in, mm -hmm. uh, that has a lid and it, and it, you put it over heat and it, um, ferments and boils and does all the things but if we look at our body as that container as the alchemist did um at some point they kind of branched off and there was like the psychological alchemists and then like the chemists yeah alchemists. Um, totally. and that, but, that was very popular in in mystical europe and not so much anymore but i think it's still a very popular idea in a lot of like asian religions like um i again i don't know what i'm talking about here i haven't studied asian religions deeply but i think that like taoism has some component of like refinement of uh your body's job is to refine your spirit and like that kind of stuff yeah no that makes a lot of sense it's uh we transmutate our our baseline feelings and emotions into um flowers or whatever like blossoms of whatever that might mean but um hold on i got derailed again what was i saying my thoughts are too long right now you were, um, you were talking about how you've got the container that you could say is our body and you put heat to it but then you've got the, the stuff inside of it that you change you know from yeah, but I'm trying to remember why I was bringing up alchemy in the first place. Because um, there was a reason um, in relationship to this. Uh, you know what? Screw it. It doesn't matter. I have had this long lasting question that's in my head about at the life after death type of thing and like this um, 
I've been thinking a lot about this idea of like Christ and um, let's say gods or angels or um, essentially myths that gain power because of a zeitgeist or because of a um, pattern of energy. So like Batman, you know, and Joker right now, like there, right. there's this cultural significance to them. So they start to exist in our unconscious, like in the soup of the collective consciousness. And that yeah, the, the, the stories take on meaning in our, in our cultures. Mm -hmm. um, so like when you talk about Batman to, to a stranger in the street, they're going to have more or less the same connotations and the same ideas about this, this guy and what he represents and his, his everything cool he does, but all of the problems with him, it's, it has a very real presence in the, in the culture. And that's basically what, you know, G, on a deeper level, things like Jesus or Muhammad, they, they occupy a similar presence. This like an understanding of, of, who they are, what they do, what they represent, and why they're meaningful. Uh, right. So just people buy into them differently. Yeah. So what I've been thinking about, though, is like, at what point does a, like a conglomerate of, so like we've got hundred thousands of people sending energy to this complex in the unconscious, like in the collective of Batman. Um, it's a an identity or an ego at what point does it become like um autonomous and actually be able to um like at what point does batman manifest into a real human um <laughs> <laughs> yeah when so when someone decides i'm batman <laughs> <laughs> is that all jesus did i don't know yeah, I don't know the answer to that um, because you know, Jesus was the fulfillment of a uh, an Old Testament prophecy. So in a way, there was that same spiritual uh, energy being transferred into the idea of you know this um, you know the king of the Israelites coming and freeing them from their bondage and stuff. And, it, and he didn't show up in the way that, uh, this is the Christian side of the story, obviously, but like he didn't show up in the way that, that uh, the people at the time thought that he would, they thought he would be a very literal destroyer of bonds. He would, he would sack the Roman empire and help the, the tribe uh, reclaim their homeland and, and, you know, be in charge of their own destiny. And instead, Christ, as the Christians see it, showed up as a spiritual savior who didn't care about the physical occupants of, you know, the Romans and didn't challenge them, but instead came to try and free people spiritually. That's sort of the role that, that he played. And so, if you're talking about something becoming myth and then becoming a reality, Jesus is an interesting example because it didn't happen the way people expected. In fact, it happened in a way that they found very disappointing. They were like, no, there's no way he could be the savior and, and uh, the king of the Jews because 
he hasn't done anything to free us. Right. Sorry, there was an ant. I got distracted for a second. But um, well, that I mean, that makes me think about that. I bring this stuff up because I'm I'm so curious about whether Christ, let's say that complex or the prophecy that Jesus embodied um, it is how I look at it. Um, whether that is still fed as much energy as it once was um, 2000 years ago and whether or not that lack of popularity or progressive lack of popularity um, is feeding into another complex, let's call it. And also, uh, so I've been thinking this is so there's, I'm all over the place, but this idea that um, like in a para paranormal, right, where a ghost shows up and two people share a experience of um, seeing a being or experiencing some sort of psychological hallucination and uh, this idea that a complex in a human mind, an alive human mind that becomes so solidified that after death, it has a hard time dissolving into the unconscious or into infinity or whatever. And so it floats around for a while and people can actually encounter this part of a human that's not a full complex mind, but maybe a small aspect like an ego, right? Or uh, a complex. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think that for what, what I think of when you talk about things like that, and these are very Jungian ideas, but I think that it's like, you know, sometimes when people think of ghosts, they think of like, you know, a presence, an apparition that shows up in your, in your bedroom at night and, you know, scares you or whatever. And I think that, you know, maybe that's real, but I haven't ever experienced it. Most people haven't. Um, but I think that ghosts in that way, that energy that you're talking about, are, are a very real thing in this cultural setting. Uh, Jesus is a really good example because, you know, you take the assumption that he, you take the assumption that he was a historical being that was crucified and then killed. And then his ghost is, is basically what has animated people for 2000 years. To, to believe in him and to uh, call upon him to protect them and stuff. You know, it's like he, his, um, he occupies a space in, in the collective psychology uh, in the same way that a ghost would occupy physical space in a house, you know? Right. And so, and so like that type of haunting is very real. Um, and uh, and Jesus is just an example of of a powerful figure that is like stayed in the real world even after his death. Right. So this is this is what's so fascinating to me uh, because there's this um, the experience of the hallucination of this being being in your room. Uh, you're still experiencing your perception through mind, right? Through your psychology. So mm -hmm. like. The fact that you're seeing something um, doesn't mean that it's not real because all we know that is through our perception. So like you have to deem 
everything real or nothing real in a sense if that makes sense like you can't depends on i guess it depends on what we mean by real but when it comes to experiencing visual hallucinations um there is a subjective part of it that is completely 100 percent real you know what i'm trying to say yeah like um it makes me think of schizophrenics right where mm-hmm. it's like they're they're living a version of reality that is so detached from the, the collective agreed reality um they're they've got a few uh, chemical imbalances microscopic things that uh you know we wouldn't even know about if it weren't for modern science but because of those imbalances they hear voices and they might even see apparitions and they feel fear and these are all very real experiences these are not these are not fake these are real and uh, and so their their reality has has become just detached from ours and twisted in a way but who's to say that our chemical imbalances or our, our chemical ratios are the right ratios who knows what stuff that we all collectively experience that might be in a way uh hallucinations hallucinations yeah right a a collective agreed nonsense you know yeah i'm curious what what's happening that we could explore that idea through um i really actually am totally fascinated by this stuff like hardcore right now because let's say um let's say that that well sorry you you got my mind going in a hundred different directions so i'm kind of uh simultaneously exploring while trying to uh formulate an idea or a thought but going back towards this shared um christ what did you say uh shared psychological um do you remember what you said uh he's like he's he occupies a space in our collective psychology that yes in in Um, the way that he's he's haunting us to this day right the the ghost of jesus yeah 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 um so that same idea like I'm picturing severing the idea of Christ from all of the the fueling. So like all of the individuals who have fueled that, if we cut that line to Christ, let's say, does Christ continue to exist? As, As in, does human attention and consciousness birth autonomy? So it's like a, a men in black, you know, flash. They got the pen. Everybody forgets Jesus exists. Um, that's an interesting question because that then that goes to like archetypes, right? Like, um, if that were to happen, would he just be born out again? And part of me thinks uh, maybe not in the exact same way. In like, may, maybe not maybe not the exact story, but I think that there is something about these archetypical stories, like taking it back to Batman, where it's like, it seems natural for us to tell these stories about um, 
uh, it seems natural for us to resonate with specific types of stories. And so Batman is a good example because we resonate with a, a broken, hurt man, you know, or boy who resolves to take his pain and try to make something good out of it, right? That's, I think that that's part of, an important part of what people like about Batman is that he's a very human, very flawed person who is decided to be very motivated to, to do good in the world and uh, protect people from maybe the pain that, that he's experienced. In a more complicated way, that's essentially the same story as Jesus, right. where his, his role is way more spiritual. It's like, I'm, I'm going to come here and be, I'm going to suffer and be beaten and then be murdered and and it's going to be for your spiritual salvation and uh and so it's like a a broken battered man who suffers so that we don't have to in the same way right i guess that's what it makes me think of so so to go back to your question i think these archetypes are uh are really they're very tied into our uh cultural and communal psychology. So do you think that Jesus, the archetype is um, taking form as in like the puzzle piece is empty. And so we put something into it or do we develop new archetypes? Like do archetypes evolve or just the, um the coloring and the um the actual story that is expressing the archetype that is what evolves does it does that make sense i'm really like yeah. i want your insight on whether or not there are conscious beings floating around in <laughs> our collective psyche you yeah, well, so i think it's a chicken or an egg thing right <laughs> yeah i think it's a i think it's a chicken or an egg thing because it's like if you believe jesus is real then the archetype exists because of him right it's like if if you are christian and you believe in the savior then it's like well it would only make sense that because you're a child of god that story is going to resonate with you because it's going you're going to identify that's the spirit testifying to you that that archetype is your savior and that's your path to salvation, right? So, so in that sense, Jesus is the chicken and the egg is the archetype, right? But if it's the other way around and the Jesus is the egg and the archetype is the chicken, if I'm making any sense, then it's like, then it doesn't, Jesus is the vessel in that, in that way, where it's like you, and you kind of see that with other religions too, where it's like, hey, not everybody resonates with Christianity. It's not everybody agrees that it's true, but I think that it's pretty common to see um, archetypes in folklore and in stories where someone shows up, dies for their friends, saves, saves their friends and sacrifices themselves and it's like, well, that, that's a common archetype because that's, that's good for the community. 
It's like, it's, it's good for people to say, I love my community. I love my friends. I love my family so much that when it comes down to it, if I need to, I'm willing to die for them. Uh, then in that way, Jesus is just a really hyper uh, expanded version of that self-sacrificing archetype. So I don't have any insight on whether or not we have actual personalities in our subconsciousness. I don't know about that, but um, uh, this, this stuff makes me think about Joseph Campbell, right? Because he's really into archetypes. He's really into these stories that humans tell. And, uh, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll say that, like, um, you see these archetypes all over the place. You see them in movies. You see them in stories. You see them in old folklore stories, everything from Star Wars to Jesus to, uh, you know, like King Arthur stories, things like that. Um, they show up everywhere. and we're, we're all just repackaging the same themes with different characters embodying ideas. Um, and, uh, I think that it's fascinating. I think that it's a way storytelling is a way for us to communicate through, through generations, communicate ideas. And I think that it's really important, but at the end of the day, do I know if like <laughs> it's pointing towards a spiritual truth or not? I have no idea. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I love the the what you're just talking about, like with Campbell and uh, you know, like the, the hero's journey, especially, is so easy to see with like you just look at like Harry Potter, and then you look at well, I guess nowadays I'm trying to think of what would be in that place, but like Harry Potter was kind of our generation's Star Wars, and Star Wars was the generation before us, and then um, and then you have there's probably something every. 20 years that it just really stands out as being like the hero's journey right and well and even like marvel movies are a good example where they they synthesize the hero's journey to its beats every single movie yeah. it's like you have like they're in their their comfortable steady state you know they're at their they're at the village they're they're surrounded by the people they love they're called to action they you know so they're they have to leave their place of comfort they're challenged, you hit their low point where it's like, okay, either they break or they resolve to collect themselves, maybe sacrifice on behalf of their community. And then that gives them the power to rise up. They have their arc, they've learned something, they defeat the bad guy, they come back with their new knowledge and they're, and they're better for it. Every single Marvel movie follows those exact same beats every single time. Yeah, I kind of find it boring in a sense, but... Um, when it's that when it's that formulated it's pretty boring right we want I, I like some depth and layers to it that's what was so fascinating about what it was it the green knight or the night the green is that what it's called the green knight? yeah the green knight yeah um there was something i heard a myth about a fox that shows up that pulls i can't remember what the myth was but it reminded me of that movie when the fox shows up uh when he's maybe he's still in the water after diving to get the skull of that woman um and then the fox shows up do you remember what i'm talking about anyway yeah. um that's not a conversation for right now but um so that uh oh i was thinking about my nephew who's pretty heavily autistic and his 
latching onto Marvel and DC and like his um, moral development and ethical development that is um, purely based off of these comic book superheroes. I find that like there's like a there's something really important that's going on there, like this latching on to archetypal truths that some a mind can orient itself based on those truths if that makes sense that i think you see this in um someone who's autistic like there's something very very like uh loud about it happening uh, mm-hmm. where you can actually witness it um where like these axioms of their identity and of like their decisions are all built on these archetypes but they um but i'm assuming like we all do that right like but we probably did that with religious stories that nowadays people without religion are still building on those same archetypes um still building their ethical and moral um, compasses on those archetypes i think that's a really interesting point because i think that that could be that certainly has got to be one of the roles of these stories that we tell is it's a communication culturally of uh, the the behaviors and the morals and the um, actions that we value as a, as a community. Um, and so Marvel movies are packaging a specific type of valued personality and behavior and action. But you could say that same thing with religious stories or we've talked about King Arthur stories before, how they... They're a little, they're, they're kind of like Marvel, but they're a little bit more opaque, a little bit more confusing. Um, but in a way they were serving the same purpose in medieval times where it's like communicating a moral message about how to behave in a, in a given situation. Uh, it's like, this is what uh, the right behavior would be or maybe it'll give you an example of the wrong behavior and the consequence and then the right behavior and then why that's the right behavior and um and so with marvel it's always like good versus evil you know protecting the world against like the it's it's sort of like the um it's like there's evil in the world and there's good in the world and you need to choose to be the good and stand up against the evil and it's going to be hard because the evil is going to feel dominant and overpowering but if you you know like gather together these right moral features, then it won't be able to stand a chance against you. But Arthurian tales are a little bit more weird and complicated because they'll say things like, you know, these are the types of friendships you need to develop in order to create unity. It's like, we talked about how Merlin is like this pagan wizard and Arthur is this like Christian folklore. He, he represents someone who embodies uh, the power that you can get from accepting Christ as, as your savior and spreading Christianity with, uh, in, in sort of like a European way, but it's like, he's also sort of leaning on and depending on the knowledge and understanding of this pagan wizard. And, uh, and that's a very dynamic and complicated relationship. And so it seemed like it was willing to grapple with those sort of complications in a way that, people don't really like to grapple with morality in that way anymore. They like to think that it's um, there's right and wrong 
even non-religious people, you see this all the time where they're like, there's right and wrong. This is right. And that's wrong. And, uh, and if you're not doing right, then you're wrong. And, um, there's something that feels a little bit more authentic about these complicated stories where it's like, Hey, Merlin may not be worshiping Jesus in the same way that Arthur does, but he still has wisdom that you need to rely on. And he still has power that maybe you need every now and then. So it's good to maintain your relationship with that. Um, it just feels more complicated and authentic. Yeah. Well, this brings into my mind, like the joining of like, the Egyptian gods and like this slow um, assimilation of gods into uh, one god, and the the same thing is happening with stories and and archetypes and how oh, yeah. uh, I think of uh, David Lynch and his ability to leave a, a a loop open and like this is like this dreamlike experience that happens where it's like um there's this it's literally almost like it like cracks open your ego and all of a sudden like these images spill in and it's like confusing and weird and it doesn't make any sense and how um the paganism and like the wizardry and like these old older stories had that um purpose it's almost like a wakeful dream right mm. uh that stories are losing because of um, the demand for rationality or the demand for maybe like some concrete closed looped um, media. Like it's almost like if it's not closed, it's not finished. And so finish your shit and then, and then bring it to the public or whatever. Right. Um, right. Right. And Lynch is totally willing to be like, no, you finish it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I don't know what it means you tell me what it means. And that, that is definitely part of the fun with his stuff. And I think that's a really interesting point. A lot of people don't want that. They want, they want finished. They want to be told this is the message. And, uh, and so it's uh, it, people like David Lynch are challenging their viewers. And it's the same thing as like the rational mind, the ego or habitual consciousness when it comes online in the morning dismisses the non-rational night of mm -hmm. dreams um that same attitude is what wants closed looped uh finished like we don't that rational mind does not like the open openness um right. and the non-rationality we want timelines and we want starts and finishes and we want these things um but for some reason this feels related to paganism into christianity to me where there's like this um openness to like gods having evil and good in them right like this um it's almost like i'm picturing in my mind an oil spill that has all of these little tiny dots and then over time it slowly grows into one big oil blob um sure. but that like that's what's happening with um our mapping out of the psyche like of our inner world we paganism i think of as just the, the mapping out of the inner world and like the the simplification of that has simultaneously distanced us 
and helped us to become more unconscious of the complexity of our inner worlds and the complexity of good and evil in in like the polarity of like each individual thing that builds us up like we look at it as one one planet with the north and the south pole but in reality it was like this huge solar system with thousands and millions of different south and north poles you know and they're all yeah. like interacting with each other yeah so you're talking about like um egyptian gods and and it makes me think of like how when um you know according to the history of like uh mystical her things like hermeticism and gnosticism and stuff like that um a lot of them will point back to uh when uh egyptian gods and and sort of the greek pantheon people started realizing like oh these gods these cultures weren't necessarily interacting in a meaningful way but they developed a pantheon of gods that basically match each other it's like this god equals this god more or less this god equals this god more or less and um and so like uh and that's where the term hermeticism comes from is it's hermes and is it thoth is the is the equivalent uh egyptian god they were like the same guy it was like the messenger of the gods his role is to come bring truth down onto earth or to you know bring their message wherever um and he's yeah he's just this like intermediary type type role and so um uh but they, they basically were like oh these things are the same so you mix them together and and like you were saying it's sort of a mapping or a projection of these components of uh the spiritual the collective spiritual identity it's like this this is how i express these spiritual ideas and this is how i express these spiritual ideas and it's been synthesized into one god the creator of everything the source of truth and light and he's our father and we're his children and we need to rely on him to um to i don't know to for our salvation and uh and it used to be way more complicated because that was not the relationship people had with these gods they would worship them and they would pray to them but also it was like a much more tenuous relationship they didn't see them as like father figures they saw them as like these capricious scary human personalities where it was like i don't want to piss this dude off because if he if he's mad at me my crops are gonna fail and then i'm gonna die right um and so it was a much more complicated relationship uh so that synthesis the synthesization whatever the word is the synthesis of uh of of god into one god is sort it makes me think of the synthesis of archetypes into the one archetype that we see in all the marvel movies we're, we're not comfortable with these types of closed loop or open loop relationships with these gods. We want a closed loop relationship. We want to be told what truth is. We want God to say, this is what truth is. This is what your paradigm is so that you know what your path is. This is how you need to behave. And that's not what the pantheon of gods was giving us because it was like, they're too scary. Uh I want a God who's scary, but who loves me and who will tell me exactly what I need to do. Um, and that's kind of maybe what we're doing with our archetypes as well. But then just like with, with David Lynch's stuff, that stuff is way less challenging. 
if if you view this is my opinion, but if you view spirituality in a way where um, you have all the answers and it's a very specific path towards enlightenment and growth, um, you're taking yourself out of the equation because everybody is so different, right? And what I find spiritually edifying is probably totally different from what you know some stranger in the street finds spiritually edifying and and neither answer is right or wrong. So why should there be one answer for everybody uh, that is the one true path when we're all so different, I guess, is how I think about it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm full on board with that. I think the reason uh, Mormonism didn't work for me was because that I never connected to anything through that framework, right? Like some people do. I don't. Um, and I had to find my own uh, pantheon of gods to understand myself and mm -hmm. how I relate to spirituality or how I relate to whatever. I don't. Some of those know. gods were probably bad and scary too, like alcohol, right? In a way, that was sort of occupying a a religious space for a oh, while. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Is uh, but not only that, it's like um well alcohol kind of just did the well this is comp it's complicated but like there's the fear that i don't feel like i was ever addressed in my upbringing um as in like i think that there's this way of conquering fear and it's through faith and through belief and through these things that are more so like turn to the right and ignore what's on the left here, which is fear yep. and unknown and doubt and, and uh, oblivion, right? Um, turn towards this was my, the solution that was given to me, or at least how I understood it. And so once that disappeared, all I had was like this um, fear and nihilism i suppose and so i had to turn right to whatever was going to be there and that was um synthetic spirituality uh and i would do whatever i could to just not face that fear and so um that fear which is interesting because that's um maybe the most powerful god now in my opinion um like fear is yeah yeah especially in the last three you know three four years um it has become it was interesting dude my friend trevor had this dream which i'm gonna get him on here and talk about it hopefully. is this the trevor that i've met yeah 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 trevor okay. you know trevor but he had this dream where me and him went into this normal house and there was a plaque with deities on it and like Yahweh or like Jehovah uh, was at the very bottom of the powerful beings. And like the top one was like this demon of fear. Um, and we like went upstairs and uh, there was people who had like wasted away, who had been like their soul had been sucked. But then there's people who like became in cahoots with fear. and But they were like terrified, but they like had like this gang, you know, of like, uh, it, it was very super interesting, but we've been talking a very lot spooky about dream. Oh yeah, yeah, super weird. Um, 
and there was a beheaded man whose head was screaming and uh <laughs> super man, trevor has some crazy dreams dude trevor yeah trevor's got some it's fun it's very fun uh, you gotta bring him on here and talk about dreams <laughs> dude for sure it's very fun but um but then it came to this we came to this idea of like you know fear living in the cerebral mind and like how there's almost like this danger of getting too close to or too deep into the to the mind into the cerebral bodiless um thinking which is interesting it's probably totally different for you though there's probably comfort and not even comfort but like a spiritual nature to rational frameworks and whatnot. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Well, it sounds like what you're, what you were saying is maybe the fear of, of diving into your own psyche, right? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood, but like, I don't know that, um, like I'm sure to some regard, maybe I have that same fear because like inside of all of us is a, is a lot of unknowable things. Some of those things are maybe scary, you know, like the shadow, I guess, is like a union way of saying it. And, and um, an important part of union analysis and growth is like, like you were talking about earlier is allowing your ego to be permeable but most importantly incorporating into your ego the aspects of your shadow that you have sort of buried that you have and and some of those things can be very very scary so i think that that's probably a uh an experience that's human uh being being afraid to explore things mentally and emotionally about yourself but i think for me my personality type is definitely very heady. It's definitely very like lost in my own thoughts sometimes, my own ideas and opinions about things. Um, and and like we were saying at the beginning, uh, I am most healthy when I'm willing to challenge those thoughts and and playfully have fun with uh, expanding them uh, and bringing in new stuff. And so in that way, I'm sort of spending a lot of time with myself but that feels very different from something like shadow work because I'm playing with ideas and I'm playing with things and, and they're swirling around and I'm grabbing things and, you know, checking them out and then letting them go back and swirl around. Uh, but if I'm talking about like self-analyzing and doing the painful stuff that comes with that, you know, that, that makes me think of therapy and it makes me think of like, when, when you have to start challenging your morals and your personality and and components of what you consider to be yourself that's scary and that can be very painful and i think that that's true for everybody yeah no that makes sense although i i could let you keep going keep going because i i think that there is like this personal level of fear but i was also in reference to the dream that trevor had was talking about like the collective fear and also the you know the fear of death like the fear of um the fear of nothingness or like uh nihilism it like there's this growing 
chaos and fear I feel that I tap into when I go inward that doesn't feel like it's just mine. It's kind of interesting. Um, that uh, feels very powerful to me in like a scary way. But I don't even actually want to go there right now. <laughs> yeah, well, that that is a, a big, deep conversation that relates to, you know, media and current events and power structures and politics and all that kind of stuff. And that is a very, that's, that's probably a, if you were to want to talk about that, that would be a dedicated uh, spot or a, a podcast. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel you. I think that, that we are coming towards the end of uh, our time. And I wanted to just ask if there was anything that you've been thinking about. Sometimes I'll cross my fingers when I have a thought that I don't want to interrupt someone with. Um, and then I'll just like have a bunch of fingers crossed and not remember why. <laughs> uh, do you have I, anything like that? I don't. I think that you've let me explore. I mean, like you've, you've come at me with a whole handful of questions and I think that you've let me explore them pretty thoroughly. If anything, I feel like maybe you, I, I uh, <laughs> through, through just exploring them verbally, which is fun for me. I like doing that. Uh, I feel like maybe you lost some stuff that... It, you know, that maybe you wanted to talk about. No, no, no. I, I'm doing my best at not making this my plat, like my platform for me to just plow over people. Like I invite people on just to talk over them. That would be silly. Um, so I, I want more than anything for that to happen. Although I think when it comes to like our relationship, there's, I'm sure there's things that we can continue talking about after this. Um, sure. And, uh, in life, I mean, in general, maybe not right the second, but that was my um, dog, by the way. <laughs> I don't know if you're. Doing? I did. She's, she's groaning, um, but yeah. So I guess the the with you saying that the something that's sort of an understanding between you and me whenever we have these conversations is like, uh, and I've said this already during this call, but I think it's important to reiterate. I have no idea what I'm talking about. I have no idea what's true and what's not. Um, and, but I, I think it's a lot of fun talking about ideas. And I think that you and I do a really good job of, of uh, bouncing these things off into, it's like, well, what about this? What about this? You know, I'm like, how does that relate to this? And you, we start drawing these lines together. And for a lot of people, it might not make sense. And it might even be frustrating because it's like, they're just talking about nothing. None <laughs> of this means anything. And it's like, well, yeah, if you, it, maybe for some people it, it feels that way and that's a valid way of thinking but for me really the goal for these conversations it's not to try and figure out what the meaning of life is because i i don't think we're going to be able to do that but a, a byproduct for me and I, and I would be hopeful for anyone who is willing to like talk about things in this way is to walk away from this thinking like uh what what can i take from these from this conversation the symbols and the meanings behind these symbols and you know what can i take from from any of that stuff that might make me feel more motivated to be energized with my life to be to be motivated to to show up and contribute and to be of service like like you were saying earlier and and um that is where i am able to pull joy 
from from these types of things is like when I find something that goes wow that resonates with me I really like that I'm going to take that and encode that into my personality into my ego and I'm going to have that be part of the the pantheon of gods that I worship yeah yeah I was going to say a very similar thing where it's like I can completely understand that people think we're just on here uh wasting our time and whatnot but there's this aspect of like a spark of energy real energy that i feel by having these conversations where i leave here more alive than i came into it you know and that's if i can experience time and come out the other end of it feeling more alive that's like i'm like cheating the system in a sense you know (laughs) yeah and I like that. Um, and I think there will be people that I think most of the people listening to this will probably um, not make it this far uh, without having at least some interest in abstraction and, and extroverted intuition, introverted intuition, introverted thinking, those types of um, some introverted thinkers will hate this, though. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like if, if I were if I were listening to this conversation uh 15 years ago it'd be like these bozo hippie losers like (laughs) don't know what's real (laughs) like yeah 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 that's really one of the best and most fun things about you and your ability to have conversations with me is like i can it's almost like i'm exploring your mind by i i say things and i can see how they respond and there's never really hard surfaces if that makes sense like there will be things that will bounce off but then you'll be like well i felt that too so let's look at that you know like let's look at what just that just bounced off of in my psyche that felt like hard structure um and so you're using our conversations as an explorative inner like oh that was that was that my reaction to what you just said is intriguing let's look at that more you know like there's like this i think we I don't know if I even do it as well as you do it, but there's this update, update, update that's happening that is like very present, if that makes sense. Like it's a very present experience um, where there's actual growth happening through conversation. And uh, that I think is hard to come by and like something that you hold on to, you know, in life. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think that part of why I enjoy our conversation so much is because you are really good at throwing those ideas. It's just like you're able to gather up through the things that you do and the conversations you have, you're able to gather up these ideas and then you come at me and and, and you're prepared to sort of challenge them, uh, challenge the inner frameworks that I have. So it's a lot of fun for both of us to have these conversations and I appreciate them. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, uh, let's be done. I appreciate you taking an hour and a half and I love you. And I hope uh, I probably will see you soon. Yeah. Back at you, buddy. Love you. love these conversations and uh, yeah. Look forward to talking again soon. Cool. Peace. See you. opportunity to tell you about something new that I'm doing. I am going to be hosting a 
dream and tarot retreat called Return to Soul in September the 22nd to the 25th. And it's going to be in Tulum, Mexico at a beautiful resort. We're going to be on the beach. I'm having uh, 10 spots available starting, well, it's open when you're hearing this probably. Um, and I am super excited about it. This is the first and it's going to be very intimate, but it's going to be the first of many retreats where I'm doing um, bringing people together who are interested in learning more about Jungian psychology, learning about dreams and tarot and the spiritual approach to life and tools that will help you integrate experiences and synchronicities and um, dreams and even maybe other types of spiritual experiences such as um, uh, entheogens and psychedelic medicines and stuff like that. So super excited about this. Um, I'll put a link to the booking site in the description and I hope to see you there.